You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, If you've been to a college campus any time in the last three or four decades, you've encountered a particular kind of street preacher slash performance artist. The preacher finds a spot on the quad to loudly condemn the morals of the student body. The student body gathers to jeer at the street preacher. The students get a little free entertainment between classes. The Christian street preacher gets to feel persecuted and nothing hits that fundy Christian G spot quite like feeling persecuted. So, Everybody wins. Anyway, a fundy Christian street preacher was going off last week on the campus of Texas Tech. There are some men that are so naive that they will actually buy a girl five margaritas. That was posted to TikTok by Zam G. First thing I want to say, apparently at Texas Tech, college girls are pouring margaritas down the throats of innocent college boys and then dragging those boys back to their dorm rooms to peg them. Has anyone told Greg Abbott about this? Is he going to do anything about it? I mean, right now, conservative parents in Texas are doing all they can to protect their boys from sex education and Disney movies. And what good will all that effort do if those innocent boys wind up getting their ass cherries busted by marauding packs of college girls wearing strap-ons once they get to Texas Tech? Governor Abbott, what are you going to do about that? But I'm not signal boosting the street preacher to start another moral panic in Texas. They've got enough of them going right now. I'm platforming this crazy lady street preacher for selfish reasons, because it seems to me that if a crazy lady street preacher knows what pegging is, and if every student at Texas Tech knows what pegging is, most of whom appear to have been born after Savage Love Readers gave the name pegging to the sex act, previously known as a woman fucking a man in the ass with a strap on dildo, which they did back in 2001, seems to me... It's past time that pegging made its way into the Oxford English Dictionary. The Oxford English Dictionary, also known as the OED, is, quote, regarded as the accepted authority on the English language and unsurpassed guide to the meaning, history, and pronunciation of 600,000 words past and present from across the English-speaking world. That's from the OED's website. And they're not bragging. It's true. Now, quickly, for recent high school graduates who have not yet made it to Texas Tech and other new listeners, once upon a time, women were doing guys in their asses with strap-on dildos, and it was good. It was a major plot point in Myra Breckenridge, the 1970 film starring Raquel Welch, based on Gore Vidal's 1968 novel of the same name. There's a pegging scene in a book written by the Marquis de Sade in 1795, but it didn't have a name. When a guy wanted to be pegged... He had to say, hey, girlfriend, would you want to fuck me in the ass with that strap-on dildo there? Until 
A Savage Love reader suggested I harness the collective wisdom of my readers and that we all together come up with a name for girls fucking guys and their asses with strap-on dildos and pegging one. It's crisp, clean, and easily conjugated. He asked her to peg him. She loves pegging him. They pegged all night long. Now, for fans of the English language, for etymologists and lexicology fetishists, getting a citation in the OED which I will get when pegging is entered into the OED as the originator of the word, getting that citation, it's like getting an EGOT, an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony, all at once. Hashtag goals. And while the Oxford English Dictionary sounds like a musty old tome, it's not like they stopped adding new words to the OED centuries ago. Staycation, coined in 2003, in the OED. Sext, 2007, in the OED. Jeggings, 2010, in the OED. Vaxxed, 2020, not only in the OED, but the OED's word of the year for 2021. Pegging, 2001, used by street preachers known to Texas Tech students, important plot point in season two, episode four of Broad City. It deserves to be in the OED too. And it's not like the OED is shy about dirty words. Fuck around since the 16th century, although originally omitted by priggish OED editors in the 19th century, has been in the OED for decades. Cunt around since the 13th century? In the OED since 1972. And in 2016, the OED added cunty, cuntish, cunted, and cunting. Quoting from ladbible.com, according to the OED, cunty is a way of describing something that is, quote, objectionable or unpleasant, whereas cuntish is for describing a person or behavior that is objectionable or unpleasant. Cunted, on the other hand, is a word for under the influence of drugs and alcohol. And finally, cunting is an intensifier to be used like fucking is. Now, I do not endorse associating the word cunt with objectionable or unpleasant things or bad behaviors. But you know, dick means dick. And I love dick, but dick also means asshole. And I'm a fan of those too. Words can have more than one meaning, some of them negative. I've known some great guys named Dick, and I know some lovely women named Karen. Oh, and a quick point of order. They're going to need to add another definition for cunted to the OED because cunted has come to mean something else entirely on gay Twitter, and porn websites. And at the rate they add variations of the C word to the OED, that definition of cunted will probably make it in there before pegging. And if that happens, I'm going to be pissed. Pissed, adjective, vulgar slang. British English, drunk, intoxicated. American English, irritated, fed up, depressed. First known use, 1929, in the OED, which is on Twitter. The OED is on Twitter, at OED. Tweet at them if you feel like it. Ask those cuntish dicks why Peg isn't in there already. Quickly, before we start the show, I do not want to devote any more airtime or intro space to Madison Cawthorn, but to all the people out there who've seen that video and read those Venmo receipts and think Cawthorn might be gay, if you've met a straight guy under 30 recently, they all like to pretend they're super gay to prove they're not gay at all. They call it gay chicken. One of the results of so many arch homophobes getting outed as gay in the 1990s and early 2000s. It's a thing. 
All right, coming up on this week's show on the Magnum, we've got a What You Got with Dr. Craig Harper from Nottingham Trent University in the UK about people who own sex dolls and how or whether they're different from people, men people, mostly men people, who don't own sex dolls. His research is really interesting and we had a great convo and that's on the Magnum. Also for my Magnum subscribers this week, a new sex and politics drops on Thursday with Dr. Stacy Delin. We have a long conversation about the miserable state of abortion rights in this country. It is looking bleak. Sex and Politics, of course, is my new bonus podcast for Magnum subs. Also on Thursday for my Magnum subscribers, our monthly Zoom hangout, sack lunch, more info about that at the end of the show. If you want all this bonus content that the Magnum subs are enjoying and you're not yet a Magnum subscriber, become one today at savage.love. All right, let's get to the show. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Hi there. I am a gay cis man living in the Detroit metro area in Michigan. So my husband and I, we have an age gap of about 16 years. And recently, about two years ago, we adopted our little girl. So everything's going great. You know, we're happy. We love our life. You know, we love, you know, everything about being parents. But, you know, because there's a 16-year age gap, you know, I'm the younger one. We got married when I was 23. He was in his late 30s. So now he's in his 40s. You know, obviously, I feel like we both, because of different scenarios, you know, didn't have the opportunity to kind of explore and be promiscuous, if you will, um, with other folks, um, which is kind of where our openness has stemmed from. Um, There's a lot of other things that go into it, some jealousy, some Snapchat things, and then obviously, you know, some some mental things that have gone on with me um, that have kind of resulted in everything. So now, you know, you know, we're kind of exploring, we're meeting people, we're doing things. Um, he travels a lot, so has more of an opportunity than I do, just because we have some rules centered around our open relationship. But I guess what it drills down to is my question. Like, is it appropriate for me to feel like it's okay for us to have openness about it, be able to talk to each other about what we're doing and not trying to hide it? Because that's kind of what we're doing right now, and it feels a little bit like we're cheating, and that's not the whole point of being open. So I guess I kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about that, kind of get your take on the whole situation. I want to be able to bring people into our home, you know, late at night, you know, when he's gone or, or even if he's home, even though my daughter would be sleeping upstairs, you know, right now we kind of a rule against that. So it lends to me not really having a whole lot of opportunities, I guess, to explore. So I guess I'm trying to renegotiate the contract that we had. I wouldn't describe your marriage as monogamish necessarily. It sounds like it's a lot closer to an open relationship, an open marriage, but a DADT, don't ask, don't tell arrangement for your openness. And DADT can sometimes in practice feel a little bit like cheating because to avoid the telling and not just the verbal telling, but, you know, giving clues, disappearing or whatever, the physical tells, uh, you got to do a little bit of sneaking around to keep the DADT ball in the air. And I can see as to why it would feel a little unfair or imbalanced because when your husband is out of town for work, he is completely free to do whatever he wants with whoever he wants. And he can host if he's staying in a hotel by himself. And when your husband's away, you obviously can't get together with anyone else because you're taking care of your child. 
And then when your husband's home, you can't just disappear and not tell him where you're going or feel like you have to lie to him about where you're going because he's there. You're there. You're not as free as he is. You're not out of his sight ever. You know, when you're out of his sight, you're responsible for 100% of the parenting. And when he's home, you're not easily going to get out of his sight. So what do you do to, to renegotiate the terms of this open relationship? Well, you have a conversation with your husband about this imbalance and about how your open relationship for it to function for you is going to require a little bit more openness, honesty, directness, because for you to have the same number of adventures that he has or to have the number of adventures that you would like to have to feel fulfilled and satisfied and treated fairly in this relationship, there will be some nights when you're both in town and you're going to have a date and go someplace else and hook up with someone and you're not going to be able to hide that from him very easily to keep the DADT ball in the air. You're not going to be able to hide it because to hide that, you'd have to tell a whole bunch of lies. You'd have to invent shit about where you are, what you're doing, and you don't want to have to do that. And you shouldn't have to do that. As for having guys over to the house, when your child's at home, when you're at home, when you're all at home, that's a little bit more delicate a situation. Lots of people do this. Lots of straight people do this. Lots of queer people do this. I think who your daughter is, does she get up in the middle of the night a lot? Does she come down the stairs? Does she need attention sometimes unexpectedly? Does she have a habit of opening a door and walking into a bedroom in search of a glass of water? You need to weigh all those things and then make a call and come to a mutual decision about whether this is allowed or not. And I know a lot of people in successful, healthy, open relationships where this is not allowed. Play partners, other partners, even regulars, even regular special guest stars aren't allowed to come to the house. Not for sex, sometimes come to the house to socialize for a normal dinner party or whatever, or Christmas party or whatever, but not allowed to come to the house and hook up because the other parent or both parents are concerned about what their kid or kiddos might overhear or walk into a room and see. And that's not an unreasonable limit for your husband to set. And that doesn't prevent you from having adventures. It just prevents you from being able to host. And there are lots of guys out there on the apps looking for casual sex whose profiles say can't host. So you won't be the only one who can't host and the inability to host won't limit your opportunities. And I don't think it's an undue burden. If after talking about it, your partner isn't comfortable with you having other people over, or if after talking about it, neither of you is comfortable with having other people over because your daughter is the kind of kid who pops into a room unexpectedly at 3 a.m. looking for a glass of water. If your kid is that kid, you shouldn't want to host either. I also want to say uh, when it comes to you know parents in an open relationship who aren't you know out to their kids about that open relationship or even parents who are out to their kids about having an open relationship, that there is a big difference between inviting someone into your home who's a rando, you know, someone off an app that you don't know anything about and you've never met just because you've swapped some hot picks and you want to have them over, and having someone over that you've hooked up with a few times at their place that you've gotten to know a little bit, that you have a good feeling about, someone you feel 
that you can trust. I would come down firmly on the side of no randos in the house with you and your kid or you and your husband and your kid, no randos, only someone regular, someone you've met up with a few times, someone who's hosted you and you know, you've come to know to be a good and trustworthy person. So yes to casual sex, yes to sometimes parents and open relationships, having sex with other people in their house while their kids are asleep, but no fucking randos. Hey, Dan, I'm a 27-year-old, 50 now, living somewhere in the Middle East, and I was listening to your fake call, and there was the one about the girl who loved giving blowjobs, but she was worried that Dick would talk to her, and it got me thinking, because I've been with my boyfriend for about two years now, and he loves, loves going down on me, you know, and I love that it turns him on, he's ready to, like, he has, like, a huge hard dick when he's going down on me. But for me, when I go down on him, I don't know, he doesn't do it for me anymore. Like when I was younger, I think I used to take more pride in it when I was, you know, maybe more insecure and I felt like I needed to show up more in sex. But lately, I feel like as a woman and as being like, you know, fuck the patriarchy and fuck all those times I went down all those guys and didn't do shit for me and I didn't come, that I've become anti-blowjob, you know? And I'm with a partner now who loves me and he treats me well. And even with other people, you know, I want to be able to be, I don't know, I want to love it. I want to be good at it again. I want to get pleasure from it the way he gets pleasure from going down on me. I know I heard that you talk about you loving to go give blowjobs. So do you have any advice for, you know, it's women maybe who feel like going down on a guy is, I don't even know. It's getting political at some point. So how do I find the love for it again? Okay. First, I assume this is a sexually exclusive relationship that you're in. How does your boyfriend who loves going down on you, whose dick is rock hard when he's eating your pussy, how does he feel about the fact that you either aren't giving him blowjobs or it's clear that you don't enjoy giving him blowjobs? Are blowjobs something that he wants or misses? Or is he just orally very much a bottom and a sub? Is doing this for you something that he enjoys whether or not you do it for him. Or maybe it's something he enjoys doing for you in part because you don't do this for him. If that's how he feels, well, then this isn't a problem that you necessarily need to solve. But if he misses getting his dick sucked, and if you really do sincerely miss sucking dick and feeling skilled and accomplished at that, uh, and it is a skill, and sometimes it can take guys so long to come that getting to the point where they're climaxing from your blowjob does feel like an accomplishment. Well, there's two ways you can work back from or cure for or control for the sexual politics and shitty feelings about the patriarchy that are kind of ruining sucking dick for you. And the first way is to attempt to divorce blowjobs from what feels problematic about them. That this isn't about you servicing him. This isn't about the patriarchy getting a dick into your mouth. This is about an egalitarian relationship involving two equal people, you and your boyfriend and the oral sex. That kind of pleasure is mutually provided. It's reciprocal. It's not about dominance. It's not about submission. It's about joy and pleasure and giving 
Or if that doesn't work for you, if the attempt to divorce blowjobs from what makes them feel problematic for you doesn't work, you could always lean into what's problematic about blowjobs. Look, I love sucking a dick. I love going down on a guy. One of the things I love about it is deeply problematic. You know, when I was young, I was called a faggot and a cocksucker. And when I'm giving head to somebody, part of me is grooving on the dominance and submission of that. The fact that, yes, I am a goddamn cocksucker. And in, the guy that I'm going down on, if he calls me a faggot or a cocksucker, even if he's my fucking husband at that moment, I kind of love it. It's almost as if we wallow in what's problematic about blowjobs that we, I recently wrote about this uh, in Savage Love um, about being called a faggot during sex by another gay man feels less like an insult and more like an affirmation. Maybe there are women out there. Maybe you're one of those women out there who get to a place or can get to a place where if what feels problematic about giving that blowjob is getting down on your knees and servicing the patriarchy, if you lean into that and exaggerate it and blow it up, and the you know just like the person calling me a faggot when I suck my husband's dick is the person who loves me most in the world is my husband, if the person who's calling you a slut at the moment or a cocksucker that you're sucking a dick is your boyfriend who obviously cares about you, who eats your pussy too, goes down on you too, in the same way my husband sucks my dick too, then maybe, as John McWhorter called it on the show, that kind of theatrical subjugation, where you play into it, lean into what's problematic about it, eroticize it. And really, when you eroticize something like that, you're in charge of it. It may be the patriarchy, but you're in control of when and where you ham it up and exaggerate and camp up the patriarchy for kicks, for your kicks. Now, that might not work for you, and if it doesn't work for you, don't do it. But you ask what works for me about loving, giving head, and part of what works for me, well, a huge part of what works for me, I, I enjoy giving head, I enjoy sucking a dick, I enjoy giving my partner that pleasure, but a huge part of what works for me about it is revisiting what's problematic about it, what my conflicted feelings about it, how implicated I feel and exposed I feel at that moment when my partner, when I am, you know, revealing myself to be, allowing myself to be the cock-hungry faggot that when I was 15 years old, I denied that I was. Maybe you can get there too on the, you know, what's problematic about it from a, you know, relationships between the sexes from the gender and patriarchy front. And if you can't, well, then you're going to have to work or maybe work twice as hard at divorcing blowjobs from what's problematic about them for you. Unless, of course, again, your boyfriend doesn't care. Unless, of course, again, your boyfriend doesn't want or enjoy the blowjobs you were giving him because he could tell you felt conflicted about them. Or maybe he's just, when it comes to oral, a service sub. And if that's who he is when it comes to oral, then Yahtzee, you won. You get to get your pussy eaten by somebody who's excited. Obviously, look at that hard dick by eating your pussy. And you aren't obligated to suck his dick if that doesn't make you feel just as excited.
This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Different people need different stimuli to get turned on. A lot of people don't enjoy visuals. They get turned on by voices and audio stories and erotica because it lets their imaginations run wild and get them hot. I'm a big fan of erotica myself. That's why I recommend and kind of love Dipsy. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. They have stories for straight and queer folks and a diverse variety of voices. Find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent. They have a whole section on characters with accents. Or find a story on hooking up with your hot history professor. Wrong in real life, allowable in fantasy. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has a section called The Sensualist, which offers bondage tutorials, one-night stand advice, a history of the clitoris, and a ton more great and useful information. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the Savage Lovecast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 34-year-old furry chubby chaser who's having trouble with their sex life. I have never been able to come with another person. For context, I'm assigned male at birth, I'm non-binary, and I'm primarily interested in men. I have an anxiety disorder and low testosterone, which I'm treating, but until recently I've also had a very high-stress job, which killed my libido. I might be, and I'm not sure, demi or asexual with the kinks I mentioned. Anyway, I masturbate once a week, but I can't come consistently, and I can never do it without fantasizing about either me or a partner gaining weight. I know what button it presses, I grew up Catholic, so I know it's about recognizing temptation and giving into it by choice, and owning and relishing it. Real life gaining is fraught with complications, though, as well you know, so I've never tried feeding or being fed by a partner. So far, I've just been into the fantasy and minor periodic overeating by myself. I also roleplay online and draw art for online furry friends, and it's been reaffirming, but it doesn't help me in bed yet. My last partner was my first long-term partner, and she had her own issues about sex, so we never got to mine. I've had a few friends with benefit hookups, but they didn't get past heavy petting and naked cuddles. I know this button is central to my sexual fantasies, and I feel like this is something I want to explore with a partner I can trust. I've loved my experiences with other people, but I feel like I owe myself and my future partners reliable orgasms at some point. Do I need to just meet someone, take it slow and chill? Or do I need to realize that I'm not going to meet someone, keep drawing, and get a Blue Apron subscription? Help a cousin out. I think you're setting up a kind of false choice there for yourself. The choice you present is meet someone, take it slow and chill, or realize you're not going to meet someone, keep drawing, and get a Blue Apron subscription. Seems to me that you should keep drawing, whether you have a partner or not. You can and you should get that Blue Apron subscription if that's something that would make you happy. And instead of realizing you're not going to meet someone, tell yourself, we should all tell ourselves that it's possible you might not meet someone or it might take you a while to meet someone. But then when you do, you can take it slow and chill and keep drawing and keep enjoying the Blue Apron subscription. And you need to adjust your 
expectations, the expectations you're placing on yourself. You seem to think you don't deserve to have a partner because you can't provide that partner with your own orgasms reliably. Well, okay, not everybody comes every time they have sex. Not everybody wants to come every time they have an erotic encounter. If feeding and gaining is something that you enjoy and that's deeply and transcendently erotic for you, you don't need to be jacking it for that to be a meaningful, intimate, sexual experience for you. And if you say to your partner, I've always had difficulty climaxing, I have a vivid erotic imagination, there are things that I very much enjoy, cuddling, making out, feeding, gaining, fantasy play, these are my fantasies, what are your fantasies? Whether or not you have an orgasm can be immaterial to your enjoyment, so long as you know, you don't want to get a situation where your partner is constantly disappointed you didn't come. So you need to have this conversation with them so that their expectations of what a satisfying sexual encounter look like for you are going to be reset to match what it is that you're capable of and what it is that you enjoy. And just because orgasms are rare for you, once a week occasions for you or occurrences for you, doesn't mean that you can't be a reliable source of orgasms for them. You say, I, I, you know, I owe my future partner reliable orgasms. Yeah, you owe your future partner, if orgasms are important to them, their orgasms, getting them off, making them come reliably. But you don't necessarily owe them your orgasms. If you have difficulty climaxing. So long as they can get up and walk away from a sexual encounter with you without feeling like there's something that they failed at, something undone, or that you're unsatisfied, they can enjoy a sexual erotic encounter with you, whatever is happening during it, if you're whipping up that Blue Apron meal or enjoying it together or whatever, without you having to feel guilty or inadequate and with them feeling completely satisfied by what you two just did together. Hey, I've got a fun idea, said no one ever. Let's go to a mattress store to look at new mattresses. No one's ever really said that ever because that's no fun. Of course, you don't want to go to the mattress store. Nobody wants to go to a mattress store. But sometimes you need a new mattress. So do what we did and get your next mattress, a great mattress from Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. They have several different mattress models to choose from, soft, medium, and firm. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains, and even a Helix Plus for plus-sized sleepers. And bless them, they design their mattresses with sex in mind. So these mattresses can handle pretty much anything you want to try on them, anything you want to throw at them. Oh my God, if my Helix mattress could only talk. When we first got ours, we were matched with the Midnight Lux model and we love it. The only thing I dislike about traveling is leaving my mattress behind. I love, love, love how easy it was. The mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. Just go to helixsleep.com savage, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try out your new mattress for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But you know what? You're going to love it. 
Helix also has financing options and flexible payment plans. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash savage. That's helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a late 40s, heteroflexible, cis man calling in from the South. My wife and I are open and like to play with other couples from time to time. And to help take the pressure off of performing during those encounters, I got a prescription for ED meds. I didn't really have a problem maintaining erections, but it felt great to take a pill and have all of those worries kind of like leave my head and not have to worry about performing at all. The thing is, I really love the feeling of taking one. My regular erections are okay, but like when I take a pill, it just feels like I can pound nails into boards, if you know what I mean. Like, it's really good. So mine and my wife's sex life is great, but I have a higher sex drive than her. While she is good with like once or twice on the weekend, I really need sex daily and I masturbate during the weekday. So I've kind of got into a habit of taking a pill daily just to masturbate. So part of me thinks this is fine. Like the prescription says no more than once a day. And masturbating once a day is fine, so I should be fine. But another part of me feels like that twinge of guilt when you press that button beside a door, that the handicap button that will open the door up. Like, I don't need to be pressing this button. It's not for me. So, Dan, is this bad? Should I stop this for either health reasons or mental reasons? Or is what I'm doing okay? So what you're telling me is that you have reliable boner privilege, and yet you are using Viagra, a drug that other men, an ED drug that other men depend on, other men who do not have reliable boner privilege depend on to get those boners. How dare you say, no, it's fine. It is fine for you to take Viagra every day. I Googled that for you. The short answer is yes. I'm quoting from the first result of the Google search. Yes, you can take Viagra or its generic form, sildenafil every day. I'm sure I mispronounced that. Whether you need to or should depends. Since each person is different, you should consult with a doctor about what's best for you. Yeah, those Viagra prescription bottles, they do say take one a day or up to one a day. So yeah, probably okay to keep taking one a day. And lots of men take Viagra to masturbate. So you're not hurting anyone. You're not depriving anyone. You're not rubbing the noses of any men out there who do not have reliable boner privilege in your reliable boner privilege when you take a Viagra, whether you need to or not. And some people need to take Viagra, you know, for group sex or, uh, you know, a crazy sexual adventure just to, as you take it, feel you know, reassured that they're going to have that boner to feel confident in the boner and boners are, as I've described them, tinkerbells. Sometimes you got to believe you got to clap, 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 clap for that boner and it'll be there. It'll live and be strong. And Viagra, the pill can help a lot of men with that. Viagra is clapping for that tinkerbell boner. You're not doing anything wrong. You're also not doing anything wrong when you push the button that opens the doors, even if you are capable of opening those doors yourself. Enjoy the Viagra. Enjoy the door swinging open. Hey, Dan. I am a bisexual female in the West in a polyamorous relationship. I know kitchen tables aren't really your thing, but we do 
tend to find it really nice. My mother is very conservative Lutheran, mostly when it's really convenient for her. And due to the fact that she could not be nice to my husband and I's partner, I finally broke down and told her what was going on, and she has reacted pretty badly, but now just wants to move on and pretend like nothing happened. So anyways, my question really is, how do you talk about polyamory with your parents, especially if they're religious? and explain to them that your kids are getting more love now, not less, and that it doesn't have anything to do with my husband and I having a bad relationship because we have a great relationship. Wait, what is this about kitchen tables not being my thing? You're referring to kitchen table polyamory, which is a kind of polyamory where everyone's so cool with each other's partners that they can hang out at the kitchen table, share a meal, have a conversation, hash out a Google Calendar together. Not only am I fine with kitchen table polyamory, I'm a practitioner of that particular brand of polyamory. I can't count the number of breakfasts I've made and served and enjoyed with uh, my husband and his boyfriend at our kitchen table. All right, what to do about your mother? You came out to your mother as Polly and she flipped. She had a really bad reaction Now she wants to pretend that nothing happened. All right, bear with me here. I think you should play along. I think you should pretend along with your mom. She was worried when you came out to her as Polly that that meant your marriage is falling apart. She was worried about who these strangers are that you've welcomed into your home, your other romantic partners. She was worried about how your kids are doing in this environment. Let her come over. Let her pretend that she didn't have that freak out that pissed you off so much. Let her hang out at your kitchen table with you and your husband and your other partners and your kids. Let her see with her own eyes that your marriage is strong, that you and your husband are thriving in your open polyamorous marriage. Let her come to know your other partners, not as these threatening abstractions, but as loving, kind, compassionate human beings And let her see with her own eyes that your kids, her grandkids, are loved and doing fine. You know, if you make mom eat shit, mom apologize, mom take it all back, if you make that a condition on your mom coming over, you may never get, you know, your mom to take it back. Because your mom won't see with her own eyes that you and your husband are fine, that your kids are thriving, that your other partners are wonderful people who are making a contribution, So let her see that. Play along. Pretend along. And then after a year, I'm a big proponent of giving your parents a year after you come out to them about whatever to have their freak out. Okay, instead of giving your mom a year to have her freak out, give your mom a year to have her pretend that she didn't have a freak out. After that year, sit down with your mother at your kitchen table, just you and mom this time, and say, all right, now's the time for us to talk about this. Now's the time for us to talk about what you said, the reaction you had when I came out to you as Polly, because it hurt and it still hurts. And I would hope that now that you've seen that we're good, me and my husband, now that you've seen that our other partners 
are wonderful people and that our relationships, our polyamorous relationships are good for us, good for your grandkids, good for our kids, that you're ready to apologize, that we can talk about this a little bit more and maybe a little bit more in depth and I'm happy to answer any other questions you might have. And then you know what you're going to get from your mom? Potentially, likelier to get from your mom if you give her that year to play pretend. If you play along with the pretense for a year, you're likely to get the sweetest thing one human being can get from another human being, which is your mom looking you in the eye and saying, I was wrong and I'm sorry. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. Straight cis male here calling from the UK. I've got a question. I, I'm going to my first ever fetish event this summer. And I really like the idea of it. I really like the idea of being at an event where everyone's in fetish gear and where I'm dressed up. But I don't know what to wear. Like, I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not a fashionista. I just don't, just don't know. I don't know where to start. So have you got any tips? How do you find out? what to wear? How do you find things? (laughs) You don't have to be a fashionista to go to a fetish event. It helps to be a fetishist. The first question I would put to you is what kind of fetish gear turns you on? The next place you might want to look is the website of the event that you're going to. Does it have a dress code? Does it have suggested fetish garb or items or materials? See what it says and then go shopping. Fetish gear can be expensive. Outfitting yourself from head to toe can be expensive. If you're comfortable with a little exposed skin, getting a few pieces, but mostly otherwise being naked. You know, if it's a rubber event, rubber fetishist event, getting rubber shorts and a rubber harness is going to be a lot cheaper than getting a made-to-order custom rubber head-to-toe cat suit. So get the rubber shorts, get the rubber harness, get the boots, That'll be cheaper and you'll feel comfortable hanging out. What you don't want to do is go to a fetish event in no fetish gear. Most big fetish events have minimum required dress codes. You got to be in some gear, some fetish attire to get in. Otherwise, the event will be crowded with straight guys in cargo shorts and t-shirts and khaki pants who are there to gawk or other queer people who are there to gawk and not there to be a part of the atmosphere and the scene that all of these fetishes gathering together are helping to create by and for each other. So yeah, what are your kinks? What are your fetishes? What would it turn you on to wear? That's a good place to start. The website, another good place to start. Also, who are you going with? Do you have kinky friends? Are you going with a crowd of other fetishists? Most fetishists who own a lot of gear are happy to share that gear with others. Not most, some a good number are happy to share their gear with others, with newbies, with close friends, not with random strangers who happen to be newbies to wear out to events. So ask your friends who are going what they're wearing and ask them if they have any suggestions or anything they might want to loan to you to wear. But really the place to start is what would it turn you on to wear? What are your kinks? What are your turn-ons? What are your fetishes? Not your outfits that you might wear as a fashionista, but the gear or clothing that you might wear to reveal something about who you are erotically, what turns you on. Start there. 
All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Nude Eel tweets, the conversation with Christine Emba was infuriating. Instead of saying what she meant, she must have said, I'm just asking questions 500 times. She disguised her run-of-the-mill sexual conservatism and contempt for non-normative sex as neutral curiosity. I enjoyed my conversation with Christine Emba, author of Rethinking Sex, a provocation more than many of my listeners did based on Twitter responses. But I don't think Emba, to her credit, styles herself as a neutral observer in her book, if you take the time to read it. She's been out there dating and mating herself, so she quite literally has skin in this game too. Again, I enjoyed the book, and it didn't read like a view from 30,000 feet to me. It read like a report from the trenches. Stephen Forrest tweets, need to differentiate between tainted consent due to power dynamics, fear, coercion, and simple next day regret akin to eating junk food and the next day saying, wish I hadn't done that, as opposed to, I felt obligated to do that. Hashtag Savage Lovecast, hashtag Christine Emba. I'm actually going to side with Emba on this. Sex you regret, you're going to feel that more than a bag of chips you might regret. The one point I'd wished I'd made to Emba about bad sex during a conversation is that it's not always something that someone else did to us. Sometimes bad sex is something we do with someone else. Savage Lovecast listener, Magnum subscriber, and brand new bride, Rachel Cunliffe tweets, Hey, fake Dan Savage. I apologize if I mispronounced your name there, Rachel. Hey, fake Dan Savage. Thought you and Savage Lovecast listeners would appreciate this photo from our wedding taken right before our celebrant reminded us that every relationship will fail until one doesn't, and we won't know which one that one is till one of us is dead. Wrote our own ceremony, and we had to have you in it, Dan. Thank you, and congrats to Rachel and Jamie. Thank you so much for including me in your ceremony, and please save me a piece of cake. And here's wishing you both every success. Not rooting for you to cross the finish line in the funeral home anytime soon, but here's hoping your marriage is a long and happy one. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And a big thank you to everyone who posted your social media accounts this week about the show. We really appreciate the way our listeners help get the word out. All right, now listener response calls. Hey, Dan, this is a response called episode 809. A caller went on a date with a woman who went out of her way to claim that she was not transgender, even though the caller hadn't asked. And then after some internet sleuthing, the caller found out that actually this woman was transgender. Dan, you suggested that maybe this woman had lied in the past about being trans, but I'm wondering, maybe she wasn't lying either when she said she was trans or she wasn't trans. Maybe she's a detransitioner, female to male to female. Or maybe she used to describe herself as trans because at the time she identified as non-binary, but then later kind of came around and said, "Eh, maybe it just makes more sense to describe myself as a cis woman. Hi, Dan. This is a reaction to the guy who was wondering if he should tell his daughter about the triad relationship he's having with his partner and another guy. Don't bring up mommy and daddy breaking up or not breaking up in that conversation, because maybe she hasn't even considered that mommy and daddy would break up. And bringing that up, even in the context of saying we're not going to break up, puts this idea in her head. Just talk about the situation as it is and that it's all good and who he is. And that should be enough. If she has questions, you can answer them that way. Just uh, go from your heart, go from honesty. And I think that will work out for the best. I'm not a big proponent of uh, keeping things from kids that are actually pretty normal and loving. 
Hello, Dan. In episode 809, you quoted Christine Ember as saying, a craving to dominate is generally less healthy than a desire to express affection. This is a classical logical fallacy in the false dichotomy. She's assuming that the craving to dominate and the desire to express affection are mutually exclusive. In my experience, that's the exact opposite. In my casual sex partners, it's those dom-top daddies who check in before, after, and between encounters. This was especially true when my partner of nine years died suddenly. So when dom-top daddy meets a slutty fag bottom, good things can and do happen. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Savage Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Savage Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. Hump 2022, My Dirty Little Film Festival, is in the final month of its tour for this year for Hump 2022, with stops this weekend in Denver, Philly, Tacoma, and Tucson. Go to humpfilmfest.com right now for tickets. Don't see your city or missed us when we came to your town. We have streaming links available every weekend of the tour. And also a quick reminder for Magnum Subs, Sack Lunch, my monthly Zoom hangout exclusively for Magnum subscribers, is this Thursday, May 5th at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Can't wait to see you all there. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Dr. Craig Harper at Craig Harper. 19. Special thanks this week to Benjamin, Christie, and Tyler for helping me look something up in the OED. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading. Hold up. 